Um, want to welcome you here, Antioch Brighton. Uh, my name is Danny Pierce, for those of you who don't know me. And I am very happy to be able to share uh, the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, it's not nearly as hot in here as I was expecting it to be. Praise the Lord. I feel like in the summer, it's like we're just answering the question of what would it be like to go to church in a sauna? And uh, this week, praise the Lord, the week I'm up here, it's not so bad. Uh, so we are in Philippians, right? You guys enjoying this, uh, this series? I hope so. Um, I want to encourage you guys with something here. Um, uh, it, it's spending an extended time to go through one book of the Bible, uh, to me, is a blessing. Um, and, and it seems like a lot, right? I think we have 10. Oh, yeah, there we go. Ten sermons on four chapters. And that might seem like a lot to you. Uh, but I, I actually think this is a great time. Uh, we can slow down a little bit and dig a little deeper. And I don't mean just on Sunday morning. Uh, I think sometimes we get into this habit. I don't know if you do. I do. Uh, where I just I listen to the sermon. And then I, by, like, Monday morning, I don't remember what the sermon was about. Does anyone ever deal with that? You don't have to raise your hand, although God bless you for doing it. <laughs> the Lord sees. I didn't, I didn't have to see, but the Lord does. Um, so, uh, now, this is a chance, because we're going slowly. Today's sermon, for example, is on 11 verses, just 11. You can, every day this week, read through those 11 verses. You can read them out loud. You can read them with friends. You could sing them. You can do whatever it is you need to do. And I've actually talked about this before when I've been up here. Uh, and it doesn't take that much time. And you can pray about it. You can ask the Lord to, to speak uh, into your heart uh, as, you're listening to, uh, as you're listening to the sermons, but also throughout the week. Uh, and I, so I just want to encourage you to do that while you're listening to it. By the end of this summer, you should have Philippians deep into your soul. And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, <clears throat> I would say of perhaps more than any book of the Bible, Philippians has shaped me. Um, I didn't choose Philippians this summer, but I'm glad we're doing it. Um, but I, when I go back over the years and, and think about books I've studied, I've spent a lot of time in, um, I actually think Philippians is probably my favorite. My old Bible, not before I had this one, um, I actually had smudges on the pages of Philippians from my fingers. I would walk around my apartment holding it like this, and so there were thumbprints on, on the ink. Uh, and it has shaped who I am. It, it has helped shape what it means to follow Jesus. It has shaped a lot of my philosophy of ministry. Uh, it's not the only book. There's been other ones. You know, obviously the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, especially for me, um, have really shaped me. God occasionally will throw a curveball, and so I get like Ezekiel is really important to me. Uh, I might be the only one in the room who can say that. Um, <clears throat> but my point is, it is worth the time to slow down and dig into it for yourself and with others. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you, this is, a, this is the time to do it. You don't have to guess, oh my gosh, what's the sermon going to be on next week? You already know. It's in Philippians. So when in doubt, just read Philippians, okay? Uh, just an encouragement for you. I, like I said, I love this book. Uh, I find it... <laughs> Uh, uh, fascinating, as has been brought up other weeks when we hear that Paul is writing um, this letter to, to a church, or really probably a group of house churches in Philippi, uh, and he's writing it from prison. And so I have never been to prison, uh, but I would imagine that if I wrote letters from prison to people, it would look different than Philippians. And so when I say that it has shaped my view of ministry, this is one of those areas where it challenges me. So I think about some of the themes I see um, 
in this letter, uh, the theme of joy and rejoicing comes up time and time again. Have you noticed that? And if you haven't yet, you will. It comes up some more later on in the book. Uh, Again, not probably the thing I would write from prison. Uh, The theme of unity, unity in the body, is uh, consistent throughout this letter. Uh, A theme of self-sacrifice, right? Giving of ourselves in the way we live comes up in this letter. Uh, The fourth theme uh, that I see uh, is, is, we'll just call it the day of Christ. It's a phrase he uses a couple times. And, And he uses that idea or concept without using those words elsewhere in the letter. That one, by the way, didn't stand out to me until we had a, a summer Bible study on Philippians some years ago, and somebody was reading it out loud. And it didn't hit me until I heard someone read it out loud that this theme actually cropped up multiple times in the letter. I never, for years, I had studied Philippians and never really noticed it as a major theme. Uh, so score a point for reading it out loud in a group. Now, those themes are not dealt with like sequentially, right? They kind of get woven in and out. And so I'm just encouraging you to pay attention to those, uh, those themes. Joy, unity, self-sacrifice, and the day of Christ. Um, and our passage today actually hits a couple of those. Uh, and so we're just going to, can we dive in? Are we good? Okay. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, one of the coolest passages in Scripture in my opinion. Uh, let's go ahead. I'm going to read the first few verses here. Uh, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if, any, uh, sorry, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others." Okay, so I think you can see pretty easily here that the main theme, the main goal that Paul is working towards is unity in the body, right? That we as the people of God, as a church, would be unified, we would be one. Now, it's interesting here that Paul, he starts it off, he he grounds it, right? Our unity is rooted in our shared, our common salvation in Christ, right? If we are united with Christ, if we share in the Spirit, Right? That is the, the, the basis of our unity. Um, in other words, uh, we are all bound together in Jesus. You and I have not experienced a different salvation. I do not have a different Holy Spirit than you do. Right? We share one salvation. We share one Savior. We share one Spirit. And so uh, because of that, Unity is actually possible, right? And we are a, a different group of people, right? We have different races. You have people with different um, economic backgrounds, different parts of the country, different countries, right? We, the body of Christ is, is an unusual thing uh, in that we can pull a bunch of different people together, but that unity is only possible because the gospel has leveled the playing field, Right? Who we are in Christ is not dependent on any of those other things, right? It doesn't depend on my skin color. It doesn't depend on my job title, the amount of money I make, or anything like that. That The gospel puts us all on one level playing field. We are all the same. And now in Christ, we can be woven together and made one, okay? Now, I don't know too many people who would disagree with that, right? I don't know too many. Actually, I don't think so. You and I do not have the same Holy Spirit. 
You might feel that way. We can talk later, but I'm, I'm going to bet here, not literally bet, uh, but I'm going to bet that no one here is thinking that. Right? And so the goal, as Paul says, is being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. But do we actually experience that? I mean, do we fully experience unity in the body? Now, uh, different seasons, there's more unity than not. Can we agree on that? Like, I don't think we're, we're not horrible at this as a church. I think we, we do okay. Um, but what is it that keeps us from experiencing true unity with, with each other? Uh, and I think he, he tells us here that the, the root problem is that we look out for ourselves, right? We look out for our own interests. Verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Uh, and he, he uses two examples, the selfish, ambi- selfish ambition and vain conceit. Uh, selfish ambition, and you notice the qualifier, selfish, right? Ambition itself is not necessarily bad. God has gifted us in various ways. He expects us to use those gifts, and sometimes that means we try hard to push ahead, right? But selfish ambition is really about trying to get ahead to satisfy your own ego, right? You're not doing it because God has gifted you that way. You're not doing it because others need you to be a doctor who heals people or needs you to be a great worship leader who helps people connect with the Lord and with each other. You're doing it because you want to be seen, right? You want people to see how awesome you are. That is selfish ambition. Vain conceit, right, is this idea of thinking way too highly of yourself, if only everyone could see how awesome I am, right? If they only knew how great my voice was, if they only knew how smart I was, how good of a preacher I am, how good of a, of a life group leader I am, uh, it, it's this idea that I am amazing and other people need to know it too, right? Now, none of us say that, right? Has anyone woken up and said that to themselves? I am amazing. No, but we all know that there are points in our lives that Uh, many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us struggle with this, right? Um, Now, sometimes these two things go together. People want to get ahead and be seen because they think they're awesome, but not always. Some people are incredibly conceited, full of themselves, think they're amazing, and they have zero ambition, right? I've known a lot of people like that. The Pierces tend to be like that, if I'm honest. Uh, Not the ones who marry into the Pierces, but the biological Pierces. Um... And other people have selfish ambition because they're insecure. They actually don't think that highly of themselves, and they want to hide it, <laughs> you know, and so they push ahead. So you could be guilty of one of those, both of those, who knows, and it, it comes, I think, for most of us in different seasons. Uh, but the commonality between these things is that we're thinking primarily about ourselves, right? The antidote to this The way we fight this is, as Paul says here, value others above yourself. Value them above yourselves. We're not talking about some passive agreement, right? Have you ever been in a group, a scenario, where you're just like, you know what, if we don't just let these people have their way, we're going to have a big problem. Anybody ever dealt with that? I mean, I have children. We deal with it every day. But you say, okay, you know what? We're not going to fight over this. We're just going to let them have their way, right? And it could be any number of things. It could be in your life group, what songs you sing in worship time, what book you're going to study. It could be something with your, na- uh, your neighbors or your roommates, right? Um, and I understand. But when you just do that, you're not actually building unity in the body. 
You're actually laying a foundation for future resentment, which will expose a false unity. Right? You won't really be one unless you value them. You value them above yourselves. I was actually really convicted in this passage, uh, working through this again, where um, we're not just talking about an action. We're talking about an attitude. That is, you can let someone have their way, and you can say, I'm doing this for the sake of unity. But this passage challenges us to value people above ourselves. You can let someone have their way and not value that person whatsoever. But that's not obeying this passage. That's not going to bring about uh, the body of Christ that we're actually working for each other. Does that make sense? So we are challenged here to go above and beyond just, just uh, passivity. This is an active, I'm going to value this person. Now, like I said, we play an active role in creating unity in the church. Uh, and, and so what do we do? And Paul actually in this letter, and if you look ahead, um, Paul actually gives us four examples of people who uh, give of themselves on behalf of, uh, on behalf of the body. Now, in this passage, we have one. We'll hit the other three later on as we go. So can we go ahead and jump in? Uh, keep looking, verse, start in verse 5. He starts with Jesus, right? Let's just get to the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. We have the perfect example of self-sacrificial humility in Jesus. Right? The perfect example. And this is what we are called to do, is to follow Jesus, to live like him, to have, and Paul says here, the same mindset as him, right? That we approach life in relationship to others in the same way as Jesus did. Not for himself, but for them. Okay, you think about it this way. Jesus starts off with the highest position imaginable, right? He is in the very nature, in his very nature, he is God. But he did not consider this equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And some of your translations, I think, will say, uh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Is that right? Is that what your says? Okay, some of them say that. Uh, I don't like that translation because I can't say grasped very well. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I like practice. Literally, was in my bedroom this morning practicing. I, I, it's a little humiliating uh, or humbling when you're a public communicator and there's certain words you can't say. Uh, any word like that, desks. I can't, I just can't do it. So I don't. So I switched my Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> did not consider, uh, but the, the, and I remember as a, as a student even studying this passage, I'm like, what does that mean? Did not consider it something that he needed to grasp. It was, because uh, I wondered, does that mean he didn't have it and he was trying to attain it? But that's actually not what the word means. The word means this is something that he would, 
It is not something that he was going to cling to for himself. Right? And that's why the, this, trans, this is the NIV. Not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He already had it, but he wasn't going to cling to it for himself. And so what did he do? He made himself nothing, or he emptied himself. Uh, he took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself right to the point of death on a cross. Um, and so, and don't get caught up. Sometimes people say, so does this mean like he's the nature God or form of God, a human likeness and appearance? So is he not really God and he's not really man? He's some in-between sort of thing. Uh, this is just a nice poetic passage, right? And poetry does this. <laughs> it, it's poetic. And, and we get elsewhere in Scripture. It's very clear. Jesus is, John 1.1 1, 1 makes it very clear. Jesus is God. Uh, and then he became a human. And so you don't have to get too caught up in there. Um, but this is what's interesting, right? We love uh, a good rags-to-riches story, right? I mean, this is like built into the fiber of America, and it probably is for other countries too. Um, but we love rags. I mean, we have the idiom, rags-to-riches. All I have to do is say, oh, this is a rags-to-riches story, and chances are you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, growing up, I remember uh, one of the big ones for, uh, we always learned was Abraham Lincoln. You guys you know, grew up poor in the log cabin. You guys remember this, anybody? Right? And I don't actually know if it's true. Like, did he grow up poor in a log cabin? I mean, because I remember, like, growing up and being told that Christopher Columbus had to set out to prove that the earth was round. You guys hear that one? I mean, I, I actually have a visual in my mind of the book saying, him holding up an orange. No, the earth is round. And that's, like, not at all what Christopher Columbus did. So I don't trust what I learned in second grade is what I'm saying. <laughs> But it's, it's what we were told, right? Abraham Lincoln, dirt poor, growing up, learning math by the fire at night on his, you know, this kind of thing. And then he became president. Not just any president. I think if you took a poll of Americans today, we would probably rank him as the greatest president in American history. I think. Is that right? Rags to riches. Abraham Lincoln. Right? It's the American story. Uh, this world of sports is full of this stuff. You guys watch the little pieces, uh, the character pieces during the Olympics? Right? I mean, that's all they are. Is this person grew up in this really difficult circumstance and they worked up and now here they are at the Olympics. Right? We love this stuff. When I was in college, many, many, many years ago, uh, it feels like it at least, uh, there was a, a guy who played quarterback for the Rams named Kurt Warner. Anybody remember Kurt Warner? And so I actually went to college in Missouri. I'm from New England, went to college in Missouri, which was interesting. Uh, and uh, I think I mentioned this to the training school. It's like, I was not a popular man on campus. Everyone was like, wow, he is so offensive. And I'm like, I'm just a New Englander. I'm just, just being myself. Uh, but I got so tired. I love Kurt Warner. Great dude. Uh, but I got, I mean, every time people would talk about him, did you know that two years ago he was working at a grocery store and now he's winning the Super Bowl? And, you know, it's like, yeah, we get it. But it was the rags to riches story, right? Now, we in New England would never do this. Right? We don't ever talk about the fact that Tom Brady was drafted 199th in the draft in the sixth round, couldn't even hold down a starting job in college, and now he's won, how many was it? One to six Super Bowls. That's right, six. Right? We don't do this. We don't do this. We keep the humility in check, right? Right, Nick? <laughs> hey, for those of us who grew up watching the Patriots and they were horrible, I'm living this up. I'm going to enjoy this while I can. Okay. But we love these rags-to-riches stories. But what's fascinating about Jesus is that it's not really a rags-to-riches story because he started off with the riches. 
right? And, I, and maybe we forget this sometimes that, you know, the Jesus story doesn't start on Christmas. That from eternity past, Jesus, who is God, who has always existed, gave up that position in heaven to come here. Why? Out of love. Out of the love, and actually, we, um, Becky read, we didn't plan this, First John 4. This is a great example. God loves us. How do we know? It's not just a feeling, but he gave himself up as an atoning sacrifice for, for our sins. So, this is really a riches to rags to riches story, right? The Jesus story. Uh, he had what selfish ambition and vain conceit want. He already had it. He had the position. He had the glory. He had everything you could possibly ever imagine. And instead of trying to grab it and hold on to it and keep it for himself, he gave it up. And this is the example that we are given in Scripture to follow. Now, this isn't the only place, right? I mean, what does Jesus say? Hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Right? This, is a, this is a theme over and over and over again. And as I said, Paul gives us a few more examples uh, as we go throughout this letter of people that, they, that the Philippians know who have done this. And I, and I love this because this passage has some really deep theology. Uh, you know, I mean, if you want the, the, the fancy uh, theological term we learn in school is Christology, right? The high Christology. It tells us about who Jesus is. He is God. He is man. And we start using... Uh, funny phrases like the hypostatic union of Christ. Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah. I actually had a professor in seminary who, would, who, as he's saying these words, lecturing on it, crying. I mean, like, that is a deep level of love of theology that I have never attained, if I'm honest. Uh, and he, he was cool. Um, but um, for all the exalted theology in this passage, and it's there. It really is. I love it. Paul's point is actually entirely practical, right? He's offering Jesus up here not as just a cool theology lesson. And in fact, I can't think of a single place in Scripture for all the places, there's a ton of them where there's some really deep theology. I can't think of a single place in Scripture where they teach theology just for the sake of theology. There's a point to it. And the point here is to say, this is our supreme example of self-sacrificial humility. Now let's go follow him. Let's live like him. Because that is the only way that we as the body of Christ will actually be brought together as one. You see, th this passage is really not that hard to understand, in my opinion. Uh, it, right? I mean, it is basically our unity as the people of God is grounded in our common salvation and it is applied as we follow Jesus. Specifically, as we follow him in self-sacrificial humility. Right? Our, our unity as the people of God is grounded in our common salvation, and it is applied as we follow Jesus in self-sacrificial humility. That's 11 verses in a nutshell. Right? You might be able to articulate it a little better. You probably can. But I think we agree that's, that's not bad. Right? It's a decent summary. Easy to understand, much harder to do. Amen? Much harder to do. And I think what, what makes it so hard is, and I alluded to this earlier, is that because it focuses on both our actions and our attitudes. 
right? Uh, it, it, it forces us to do both. It forces us to align both our hearts and our actions, align it with Jesus. And that, I find that a lot harder. Um, and I mentioned earlier about like how tr- true unity is not just letting someone have their way, right? Because that doesn't necessarily mean that you value them. Uh, and and you know, or another way of looking at it is unity is not just an attitude. <laughs> it requires active steps. And so as we mentioned earlier, uh, Jesus doesn't, or God, you know, it's like John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sat back and felt really good about them, right? It's not how it goes. Uh, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Uh, I defy you. Find me an example in the Gospels where Jesus feels compassion, where it says that word specifically, and then he does nothing. You're not going to find one, right? Jesus felt compassion, and he said, oh, I'll pray for them, and he walked away, right? And he continued his quiet time. Those passages don't exist in Scripture. Uh, You can't just get away with the feeling. you got to do something. And that is hard. That is hard. Um, And so, uh, and and not only that, it's actually very practical, right? It's it's, what am I going to do today or this week to help people? Now, there's a million ways (laughs) you can value people and show it. Uh, Life will present you many. Uh, just this week, the Pierces moved. Yeah. We have moved more times than I can count. I think I lost count at about 7 million. Um, and so, uh, and I'm really glad, by the way, that I'm preaching this sermon after we moved. Because I would have felt really bad of like, hey, you need to sacrifice and give people time and energy and love them. By the way... On Thursday, we're moving. You know, it would have been like this ultimate guilt trip, abuse of power from the pulpit. We're going the other way. Um, so praise the Lord. Uh, so we had, uh, and actually we've moved twice in six months, um, three times in the last year. Anyway, uh, and so many of you in this room have helped us, right? You, when we came up uh, and, and moved into Somerville on January 1st, nice and early in the morning, you're welcome. Uh, numerous people in this room uh, came and helped us, many of whom I did not even know. Like, people were walking in, hi, Danny, and they're carrying boxes. I'm like, I did not know that person existed until right now, you know? Um, and just this week, we had multiple people help us move, and we're very thankful. Uh, and especially moving because, other than, like, really unusual people, Josh, uh, most people don't like helping move, right? Who likes moving? Nobody, right? I mean, who among us has ever woken up in the morning and thought, the only thing missing from my life right now is back pain. I just, waking up in the morning feeling good, having no joint soreness or anything, that is, that's lame. I want to be in pain. I know this is selfish, but I really hope someone needs some heavy lifting today. You know, no one does this, right? I've helped many, many, many people move as well. And you do it because you love them. Right? And I know some of you really might actually like it, but uh, you're weird, okay? Um, God bless you. You are living this verse out better than most of us, okay? Uh, it, it, but this is one of those many ways, right, that you show that you value people that you, and that you care about them and you want to help them, right? Um, years ago, it was actually reading this passage in conjunction with a random one out of Colossians. Um, 
that, that led me to be really convicted about something in my, uh, my life group. We called them faith groups back then, so if I slip up and say faith group, just forgive me. Uh, so I was, I was going to a, a life group in, in East Boston, and uh, does anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, does anyone here, though, feel a little bit awkward about singing in small groups? I do, okay? I do. Uh, now, I've been a part of many life groups. I imagine there's actually like half the room that feels that way. And so, uh, I've been a part of many life groups, and, uh, and some of them uh, were big, and so you could kind of hide the fact that you don't like singing, right? And those are like the best. And in fact, some of us choose our life group based on that point. Um, and I've had other ones, like led by uh, the Zooks and others, that, that uh, were like Becky, uh, would sing, and it was great, because I didn't feel like I had to sing. She was just, uh, you know, uh, and, we had, and I remember that one, we actually had multiple good singers, and so I could totally just lay low. It was great. And I've had other faith groups or life groups where we didn't do any singing and led the, the guys uh, group, like this is like 15 years ago. Zook actually started coming. I think he was the only one who knew how to play any instrument, and he like just started coming to our church, so we weren't going to be like, here, why don't you sing for us, you know? And even then, I think you played bass. I've never been in a group where a person led from only the bass. That would have been interesting. Um, but I was, so I was part of this life group in East Boston, and uh, my friends who were leading it, it was a, a husband and wife team, and they, they were awesome, and they worked so hard, and, and she worked really hard to learn songs, she didn't learn songs that she knew everyone would like, but like no one sang. It was just her and her husband, and they were good, and they, they could sing well, and then all the rest of us are like, <laughs> and just kind of mumble the words, you know? You know what I'm talking about, don't act like you don't. And, uh, and, you know, it's hard when you're leading something and no one's really participating. You know what I mean? Right? Like when I'm up here preaching and you guys are giving me blank stares. I have to, like, look for, where's Kelly O'Keefe? Oh, there she is. I'm doing okay. Like, that's what I do, right? It's true. You, you know who you are probably. I find your face multiple times in a sermon. Okay. Now, I confess I am a blank starer, right? For years, I just, I thought I was showing emotion but I'm not, right? And so I, I get it, I understand, no condemnation. Uh, but in a small group, I just was feeling convicted because I'm not singing because I don't have a great voice, right? I mean, by and large, I, I, at least I don't think I do, right? I've never tried out for one of those shows where they hit the button, the chair turns around. I've never done this, right? And I won't. Um, but I was convicted because I'm like, man, every week, Pam works hard to get this right. She learns songs. She picks things that she knows that we like. Like, I, I actually love music, and there's certain songs that I just love. And yet, every week, I'm mumbling through the words. And I was convicted by this. Who am I considering more important in this situation, me or her? I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about how I feel awkward, right? You guys know what I'm saying. This is real practical stuff. There was this passage, actually, like I said, and there's another one, too, that was looking at them together. I'm like, gosh, I think I'm just missing it here. I am not actually following the example of Jesus when I show up for life group. I'm considering myself. I'm thinking about how awkward. And believe me, she would not have cared if I'm singing out of tune. Okay? Do you, you get what I'm going with this, right? And so I, I started trying a little bit, get the volume up a tiny bit, kind of nudge my buddy, my roommate, say, hey, why don't, he could actually sing, and he just wouldn't, right? And so trying to work this out. Because that's the little things, at the end of the night when she goes to bed, I can promise you, because I've been in different leadership positions, not leading worship, but other ones, where I say, man, they were into this this week. 
this actually went well. And if you've led anything, whether it's worship, a life group, anything, that's a much better feeling than I felt like I was singing with a brick wall, right? So I had to humble myself, borderline humiliate myself (laughs) for the sake of someone else because I valued her more than I valued myself. Now, I didn't do that perfectly every week, but that was the kind of stuff you had to, uh, you got to do, right, if we're going to do this. And it sounds funny, but that is the stuff that builds unity in the church. It's these little things where it's not just, I love her, she's a dear friend, I really value, I'm so thankful for her. I actually had to do something, take an active step of humbling myself so that this group would actually function in a healthy, God-honoring way. Unity in the body is hard because it requires us to follow Jesus in both our attitudes and our actions. But there is no other way. If we are going to apply the work that God has done in our common salvation, that is what it will take. It will take us being willing to humble ourselves and to sacrifice something for the sake of others because we value them. Amen? So as the, can we have the, the, Becky and the team come on up? Uh, if we can be very practical this week in our, in our response, um, because I think this is a very practical passage. And so can we think about and ask the Lord to reveal to us where, where, where's an area where my heart needs to be aligned with, with God, right? Or, or put it differently, where do I need an attitude adjustment towards other people? Who am I not actually valuing above myself? Okay? And the second thing is what active steps can I take this week to show that I value this person, right? To, to, to build us towards unity in Christ. So, like I said, let's go really practical this week. Uh, think about those two things. My attitude, what needs to be adjusted, and my actions. What steps do I need to take? Let the Lord speak to us.